Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. On June 2nd, students discovered Brophy suffering from gunshot wounds at the Oregon Culinary Institute in southwest Portland. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. And I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In Portland, Oregon, the murder trial of a romance novelist accused of killing her husband back in June of 2018 began earlier this week. Nancy Crampton Brophy has been awaiting trial since her arrest in 2018, just a few months after her husband's murder. At the time of her arrest in September, police say Nancy Brophy asked, you're arresting me? Then went on to say, quote, you must think I murdered my husband, end quote. And in Alabama, investigators have located the remains of a 37-year-old mother from Florida missing for over a week. Well, new tonight, officials say the body of a missing Florida woman has been found. Cassie Carley was last seen on March 27th in Navarre, Florida. That's near Pensacola. She was supposed to be picking up her child from her ex, Mark Spanavello, the child's father. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Just under two weeks ago, we first learned about a mother who'd gone missing in Florida. Now investigators say her body has been located. Reed, take us through this story, starting back on March 27th when Cassie Carley was last seen. You know, Will, this is a story that has moved awfully quickly, unfortunately not in the direction anyone had hoped. Cassie Carley, a 37-year-old mother from Florida, was heading over to pick up her four-year-old daughter, from her ex, the child's father, a man named Marcus Spanavello. And we have a timeline of events from there, from our partner station, 10 Tampa Bay. On that day, on the 27th, Cassie Carley's sister told NBC News that Cassie and Marcus had actually switched the location where they were going to do the pickup at the last minute. According to the sister, they decided to meet at Navarre Beach, which was close to where Cassie was staying with her father at the time. The sister told NBC that her father said Cassie was planning to come right back but she never came back that night. The pickup was supposed to take place sometime around 7 p.m. And Cassie's father fell asleep, woke up at 10.45, and she still wasn't home. Then on March 28th, the next day, Cassie's father reported her missing, and the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office held a press conference announcing that she was missing. And then the following day on March 29th, Santa Rosa County Sheriff Bob Johnson revealed that deputies had located Cassie Harley's vehicle outside a restaurant in Navarre Beach, and that her purse and all of her belongings were found inside the vehicle. But at that point, still no sign of Cassie Carley or her daughter. Reed, that discovery must have set off some alarm bells and even added more urgency to this situation. I assume investigators would want to speak with the father. Right, and continuing to follow that timeline that 10 Tampa Bay put together, 
it's the next day, March 30th, that deputies drive up to see Spanavello in Birmingham, Alabama, which is about four hours away from Navarre. When they get there, according to the sheriff's office, the child is at the home with him, which is, of course, good news in that the child is safe, but it makes you start to wonder what really happened when Cassie went to pick her daughter up. Did something happen to her after she parked her car, but before she got to the pickup spot? But, you know, if she never made it to the pickup, wouldn't the father have been concerned? You start to think about all of these different scenarios, but but getting back to that timeline, on the 30th, Child Protective Services goes out to the home to check on the daughter, and investigators do interview Marcus Spanavello, but what exactly he told them, I don't think we know at this point. And so what happens from there as investigators continue to search for Cassie Carley? Well, on April 2nd, there are a couple major developments. The first is that the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations and Tennessee Highway Patrol arrested Marcus Spanavello in Lebanon, Tennessee, in connection to a Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office major crimes warrant. Santa Rosa County is the county in Florida where Navarre is located. And so at that point, Spanavello was charged with tampering with evidence, giving false information concerning a missing persons investigation, and destruction of evidence, according to the Sheriff's Office. And then the other more tragic development that day is that investigators execute a search warrant at a barn in Springville, Alabama, and that's where they find the body of Cassie Carley in a shallow grave inside that barn. We hate it that Cassie has passed away, but it's good to get closure for the family, and it's good to keep this dirtbag in jail. And Reed, do we know what Marcus Spanavello's connection to this property might be, or if there is a connection? Investigators have said that there is a connection to the barn where Cassie's body was discovered, but at this point, they haven't said what they believe that connection is, so, so we still don't know that. The Santa Rosa County Sheriff said Spanavello has been uncooperative with their investigation, and he used some pretty harsh language at a press conference saying Spanavello was, quote, acting like a dirtbag, end quote. The sheriff has also said that more charges are pending, as is Spanavello's extradition from Tennessee to Florida. So by the time you're listening to this, it's possible there's been more information on both of those fronts. Our partners at 10 Tampa Bay will have the latest. Is there any other information at this point as to what exactly happened back on March 27th when Cassie Carley went to meet up with Marcus Spanavello? Not a lot of information. And it is really puzzling to try to think about what could have happened. You know, they were planning to meet at a restaurant in Navarre Beach that Cassie's family apparently went to regularly. And it would seem that Cassie got there, that she parked her car. So they were meeting up at this public location. It was around 7 p.m. at a restaurant. Presumably there would have been plenty of other people around, but we just don't know what happened at that point, at least not yet. Cassie Carley's remains have been sent to a forensics lab in Huntsville, Alabama for an official autopsy, which I expect will tell us more about how exactly she died. One interesting detail that we have learned is that when authorities made contact with Spanavello on April 2nd, they say they learned that he'd taken Cassie's cell phone and disposed of it, but they also said they were able to recover that phone. Investigators have also said that they believe Spanavello acted alone in this case, but that once they found Cassie's remains, all he would say to them at that point was the word lawyer. One last thing on the investigation that's pretty stunning is how many agencies have been involved in the investigation 10 Tampa reported that the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, FBI, Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, Tennessee Highway Patrol, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, Alabama Investigation Division, St. Clair County Sheriff's Office in Alabama, 
Springville Police Department in Alabama, Walton County Sheriff's Office, Bay County Sheriff's Office, and the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office all helped in the investigation. So, you know, if you're keeping track, that's at least 11 other agencies in addition to the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office. And Reed, Cassie's daughter, who was with Marcus Panavello when investigators showed up, any word on her? Yeah, the sheriff did share an update on the four-year-old daughter, just saying that, that she's been checked on by the Tennessee Department of Children's Services and that she is now safe with family members. The trial for Nancy Crampton Brophy, a romance novelist from Portland, Oregon, accused of murdering her husband, began earlier this week. Will, first off, tell us about her husband's killing back in June of 2018. So Nancy Crampton Brophy is accused of shooting and killing her husband, Daniel Brophy, who was a chef at the Oregon Culinary Institute back on June 2nd, 2018. As you said, Daniel Brophy arrived at the Culinary Institute, or COI as it's known, the morning of June 2nd, and turned off the alarm for the building. This was around 7.20 in the morning. He was the only person known to be in the building at that time. Just a short time later, so literally like 10 minutes later at 7.30, a co-worker of Daniel Brophy's showed up. But his body wasn't discovered until 8 o'clock that morning when students were allowed into the building. On June 2nd, students discovered Brophy suffering from gunshot wounds at the Oregon Culinary Institute in southwest Portland. Paramedics tried to save him, but he didn't make it. Brophy was a longtime instructor here at the culinary school and beloved by his students. Daniel Brophy was located in the rear kitchen. He had a gunshot wound in the back, and authorities believe that gunshot paralyzed him, and then he was shot once more in the chest. Investigators later determined that Nancy Brophy had been in the area, so had been downtown in Portland, Oregon, between 6.39 in the morning and 7.28 in the morning, according to court documents. However, when she was asked, Nancy Crampton Brophy said she was at home all morning and that she recalled her husband, Daniel Brophy, leaving the home around five after seven. Daniel Brophy and Nancy Crampton Brophy had been married for a long time before this. Can you tell us a little bit more about their relationship? And do we have any insight into the period of time after Daniel was killed before Nancy was arrested? They were married for 26 years at the time of his murder. So yeah, quite a long time. They'd known each other for a year longer, 27 years, and she actually met him when she was a student at the Culinary Institute. You asked that question about that window of time before she was arrested, and we'll get to her arrest eventually as well. But she wrote and shared the news of her husband's death on Facebook on June the 3rd, and she wrote, For my Facebook friends and family, I have sad news to relate. My husband and best friend, Chef Dan Brophy, was killed yesterday morning. For those of you who are close to me and feel this deserved a phone call, you're right, but I'm struggling to make sense of everything right now. And we mentioned Nancy Crampton Brophy was a romance novelist, and and since her arrest, a lot of her writing has come under a microscope. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, she wrote romance novels with titles like, at least in a few cases, The Wrong Lover was the name of one, and The Wrong Husband was the name of another novel. And in 2011, and a lot has been said about this, she penned an essay titled How to Murder Your Husband for a blog called See Jane Publish. In that essay, she wrote, quote, As a romantic suspense writer, I spend a lot of time thinking about murder and consequently about police procedure. After all, if the murder is supposed to set me free, I certainly don't want to spend any time in jail. She went on to write, quote, It's easier to wish people dead than to actually kill them, but the thing I know about murder is that every one of us have it in him, her, when pushed far enough, end quote. 
At what point is Nancy Crampton Brophy then arrested and what evidence have police made public in the time since? It was a few months later in September of 2018 when she was taken into custody. Here's KGW in Portland, Oregon with the news of her arrest. The stunning break in the murder of an Oregon Culinary Institute instructor. Police tonight have arrested his wife for the crime. Laurel, the murder of Daniel Brophy has rocked the culinary community for months. Back in June, we saw Brophy's wife at a vigil in this very parking lot. Tonight, she's behind bars. Today, Portland police arrested 68-year-old Nancy Crampton Brophy at her home for the murder of her husband, 63-year-old Daniel Brophy. Crampton Brophy is lodged in the Multnomah County Jail on murder charges as well as unlawful use of a weapon. She'll be arraigned in court tomorrow. And along the way, following her arrest, we'd hear about a lot of other evidence in this case. Hundreds of pages of court records were unsealed today, revealing how police used surveillance video and a handgun to help link a romance novelist to her husband's alleged murder. A search of Nancy Brophy's iTunes account showed she'd bookmarked an article titled 10 Ways to Cover Up a Murder, according to the court documents. The court documents suggest Nancy Brophy can be seen on surveillance video driving her minivan in the area around the time of the murder. There was no sign of forced entry and nothing was stolen. The documents also indicate Brophy recently bought a Glock 9mm handgun. Shell casings found at the crime scene appear to come from a Glock, say police, although not from the same weapon she'd purchased. Leading up to the start of the trial just this week, have investigators or prosecutors shed any light on a possible motive in this case? According to court documents, days after the shooting, Nancy Brophy actually asked detectives working on her husband's murder to send a letter stating she was not a suspect so she could give it to her life insurance company, and that was to collect what she told police at the time was a policy for Daniel Brophy, valued at approximately $40,000. However, police later learned of several policies that she could collect on upon his, his death. Detectives say Brophy is the beneficiary on several of her husband's life insurance policies valued at over $350,000. And in the months following his death, police say she tried to cash in. Eventually, more documents were unsealed. Rod Underhill, the district attorney for Multnomah County at the time, said the Brophys were really just living paycheck to paycheck and that Nancy Brophy would have been able to gain $1.5 million from her husband's death. He wrote back in 2020... Nancy Brophy planned and carried out what she believed was the perfect murder, a murder that she believed would free her from the grips of financial despair and enter a life of financial security and adventure. So as the trial has gotten underway this week, what have we heard from the prosecution and the defense? Unsurprisingly, the prosecution is really pushing the theory that she killed her husband for money. And then on the defense side, they just really continue to come back and say, look, they had a great marriage, a great relationship, and that Nancy Brophy loved her husband. Well, the prosecution says that the motive was money. The prosecution says that Nancy Bro Brophy had, you know, thousands of dollars of life insurance money to gain from her husband. But the defense says that, you know, the Brophys were in love, so Nancy could not have killed her husband. Nancy Brophy and Dan Brophy had an unusually healthy and vibrant marriage right up until the very end. Nancy's marriage was so healthy that the younger people that they mentored wanted a marriage just like theirs. You talked about that essay, How to Murder Your Husband, that Crampton Brophy wrote for a blog over a decade ago. H has that been brought up so far at trial? 
That's a good question, Reed. And the trial actually began with the judge ruling on a motion that Brophy's defense attorneys brought to him. And he agreed that that blog post that you mentioned should not be permitted as evidence. And the judge noted that the post was old. It was written for a writing seminar and any value it might have to the case, according to the judge, is outweighed by the prejudice it may cause in the jury. All right. Thank you, Will. And thanks to 10 Tampa Bay and KGW for bringing us these stories this week. And of course, thanks to you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're right here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever it is you're listening right now. If you're looking for something new to listen to, we're about to launch a new podcast series called Locked Inside. Just search for Locked Inside to subscribe today. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, along with Will Johnson, Revolt Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.